I feel a bit uh, like I'm opening the batting a bit today. Thank you very much, Liz. Um, I just look, that's the only, only cricketing thing I'll say. Because we're starting in the book of James, and so I think we'll be able to give it a little bit of context. Before we do anything, I'd like to pray, though. Father, we thank you for this uh, book that we're about to look at and start, Lord, the book of James. We thank you for this man that lived so long ago, Lord, that uh, was a, a founding father of the church, Lord. We thank you for his words. We thank you for the context and everything that's in it, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up my mind, my mouth, Lord, to say those things that should be said, Lord, and that they would be a blessing and be an edification, Lord. Be with us, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit uh, today. We ask that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So first first thing is I have to apologise because... um, my notes and everything, all my study, uh, have been uh, done on, in my Bible. My mum bought me this before she died, so I, I do use it. But it's actually an ESV, which is the extremely simple version. I know you've got the NIV, which is the nearly infallible version. So, I, I don't, so there are a few changes uh, in the, the wording. But, um, but I don't think they're, they're not significant, and both versions are very good. So I'm going to read uh, from... James, and I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through to verse 18. This is a very big chunk of scripture, really. And I think it's something, what's it called? It's trials and temptations. And I thought that was so a bit negative. And I'm not really one of these people who's always positive, but I felt that was a bit negative. So I've changed it to the path of life. I think that's a bit more uplifting. I'm not one of these people that, you know, when you get a puncture, I get excited and say, Oh, an exciting challenge. And then when you go to put the spare one on, you realise that the company that made the car helpfully didn't provide a spare. So it was getting even better. I'm not like that at all. I would say it's a nuisance. Okay, so reading from James, chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. And then in the... ESB, it's a little heading, testing your faith. Challenge this is. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, 
he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So, lovely words, I think, uh, from James. Now, so you know, I take an orthodox view, and when I started to study this, my orthodox view is this, that James actually is the brother, stroke half-brother of Jesus. He was one of the founding fathers of the Church of Jerusalem. He was Jewish. He was writing to Jews. He wrote at that time. His real name, of course, is, as I said once before, Jacob. He's not, there are no Jameses. And um, we've anglicised so many names uh, away from the original so that we can uh, more easily understand. So we'll call him James. Um, so he was a leader at the Church of Jerusalem. That's the head office of the church at that time. That's where the church was started and that was the head office. We, I believe the letter was written very early, in the late 40s, early 60s. James was said to have been martyred in 62 AD. There was a, uh, a rather eccentric and not very nice man that was emperor at the time, I think it was Nero, and uh, he did a lot of horrible things. And amongst all that, um, it's believed that James was martyred. So certainly it wasn't written after 62 so I'm just giving this as a background and a context, not something you'd ever get every time, hopefully, from other speakers. Um, now, interestingly, Martin Luther, you've heard of Martin Luther, he was this big reformer, good man, good, good chap. He didn't like the book of James, he didn't like the book of Esther, he wanted both removed from scripture. He didn't like the book of, he called it a letter, an epistle of straw. And it's fair, when you look at it, if you look at the letter, it James makes no reference whatsoever to the Holy Spirit. You will not see any reference to the Holy Spirit. You will not see a reference in this letter to the crucifixion of Jesus. You will not see a reference in this letter to the resurrection of Jesus. You will not see a reference direct to eternal life. You won't even see a mention of Satan. And when I first became a Christian, people said to me, oh, the book of James, it's a, it's a practical book, you know. It's, uh, it's worth a read, but the, you know, that's it. It's not very spiritual. I take issue, and I believe it's right to be. Not, not that I'm arguing with, with Martin Luther, but I'm just simply saying, absolutely not. But I believe it's there. If you play a team game, you can't have 11 goalkeepers. You can't have 11 centre-forwards. You need one that does a specific task. And I believe James has done his task before God, and it's rightful places in the book of James is rightfully in Scripture. Um, so I don't have an issue with it being there and I believe it's, it's a good book. Interestingly, the first verse, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't find many references to uh, Jesus in this either, but he does open with that. 
And it's interesting because if all the other greetings, when you read in the New Testament, it's always, um, you may use the word servant, Paul does that, but always servant and apostle. James is the only person that uh, in any of the letters, epistles, that calls himself a servant, full stop. He doesn't qualify, he doesn't say he's a prisoner, he doesn't say he's an elder, he doesn't say anything else, he just says, I'm a servant. And he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time. So I think that's rather a nice and humble thing. So I just want to say, when people come and speak uh, in a series like this, they speak from the front and as a sort of visiting speaker, I know you, I know you sort of know me, mostly, but people never say this from the front and I think it's, it's worth saying this. I am saved by grace plus nothing. Nothing. There's nothing I've done that, in, that I should be saved by. Now, I, kinda, I know we kind of know that, but I think it's good to hear it from the front. I'm saved by the grace of God. I wanted to say that. And salvation, saving faith, I will talk about James in a minute, all you need is two things. In your heart, in your mind, 100%, you have to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You have to believe that without the slightest doubt. If you do not believe that, you do not have saving grace. Okay? That's my belief. The other thing that you need for saving grace, saving, saving faith, sorry, I said grace, didn't I? But I believe that, you must be able to say, that I believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is Lord of all, and that includes me. So, 100% Jesus was resurrected, and 100% that um, uh, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. If you remember, when Jesus was actually resurrected, the disciples, they discovered, eventually they believed that he was resurrected. And there was one that sort of didn't get involved in this, and that was Thomas. And they go, the Lord, he's risen, he's risen. And he's going, I don't think so. He's risen, I don't believe it. In the vernacular, he would have said, pull the other one, there's bells on it. He didn't say that. But he would have said, I just don't believe it. Unless I can see him, put my fingers in the nail marks, and the fit, I believe it. So we, we know the story. They're all gathered in the top, all the, in, the, in the room, doors locked. Jesus appears. We don't know how he got there. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But he got in the same room as Thomas. And he presents him. And he says, hello, Thomas. Here's, look, look. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Because he didn't believe in the salvation. He didn't believe in the resurrection. When he saw Jesus, he did believe in the resurrection. And his immediate response my Lord and my God. Up to that point, Thomas wasn't a Christian. <laughs> After that, he was. He knew. And then Jesus says, actually, it's more blessed for others that have not seen me than it is for you. So, but, um, anyway, I wanted to make that... Um, I think it's important we, we say that from the front. We need to hear it said. That's our salvation. Anyway, I'm a Calvinist. I'm what they call a tulip Calvinist. I didn't know that until I looked it up. I'm a tulip Calvinist because, you know, they do these mnemonics when I was taught to spell necessary, I was, I was told it was never eat chocolate, eat salad sandwiches and remain young. Because it's an awful lot, it's an awful lot easier just to spell necessary. But, so whenever I see this, I actually still never eat chocolate, because there's only one C and two S's. Because in those days it mattered whether you could spell it. doesn't matter now, does it? Nobody can spell Anyway, so this tulip. So, first of all, T. Total depravity of humans. Total depravity. Now, I don't mean that we're so bad that there's no hope. It means that everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. There's no, there's no good ones here and there. Everybody, it's total depravity. So, original sin. I believe that. 
I believe in a thing called unconditional election. I'm going to lose some friends here, <laughs> which means um, basically God has already He knows who is going to be saved. Okay, God already knows who is going to be saved. This is not my idea. This is John Calvin or Jean Calvin. Don't correct me. I also believe in a thing called limited atonement. So this is the Earl of Tulip. But it means, oh, it sounds complicated, it's not complicated, it means that Jesus died for all on the cross, but he only died for those on the cross that accept him as Lord. He didn't die for everybody that rejected him, didn't know about it, didn't do that, he died. If you accept Jesus as Lord, then his death avails for us. I believe in irresistible grace, this is the I. And that means to say, actually, this is, gets a bit technical then, because you kind of lose your own free will, because I never wanted to be a Christian, this is my own experience, I'm quite happy to believe in it. The last thing I wanted to be be a Christian, because he's much positive about it at all. And I think it may be true for some people, that in their lives they've tried to move away from God, there's been times when they've tried to escape, if you like, they didn't even do it consciously, but tried to escape, but there's this kind of irresistible grace, and he draws you back, and you just can't get away, it's like the little bit of metal getting away from the magnet, and you get pulled back. And then the final thing of the tulip is the perseverance of the saints. That's us. That means once saved, always saved. Once God, you've come into that kingdom, you've come into salvation, once saved, always saved. This is a very interesting topic. And for those that believe in predestination, like me, I know there's at least one person here, doesn't agree with me. Anyway. Um, to the book of James. Before I start that, the, the overarching thing of all this, of course, is discipleship. And um, uh, humour's a funny thing. Um, uh, okay, it's a pun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> humour's a funny thing. It can be very serious. And um, I remember reading a book, we were on holiday in the south of France when we used to go with the kids, you know, one of these canvas holiday things. So I don't know how I managed to. To, to engineer this, but I was supposed to be looking after children, which meant I was sitting around the swimming pool reading a book. I'm supposed to, you know, don't drown, don't let themselves. So I'm reading the book, which happened to be a Spike Milligan book, and it was called Adolf Hitler, My Part in His Downfall. Because when you go to these camps, half the camps are either Germans or they're Dutch or what. So I'm sitting there rolling about laughing because I actually think it's very funny. And in the book, it's the start, it's the beginning of the book, and he gets called up to go into the army in 1939, you see. So he's not terribly keen on this idea, but anyway, he turns up at Aldershot with his suitcase and his civilian clothing, and, um, and they say, well, you're, you're right, Shah, go get, go and get your uniform, you see. So he, he goes off to the quartermaster store to get his uniform, and uh, so stand there like he goes, what size boots? So he goes, seven, you see, we've only got nine. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> and, and so it goes on with the uniform, you know, and the uniform fits where it touches. Get out. Next, there's a war on. So he, walk, he walks off with, <laughs> with his uniform, but he goes back to the end of the queue so that he comes back again with his uniform and the quartermaster sergeant says to him, What is it with you, Milligan? What's your problem? All my uniforms fit. He said, No, no, he said, I want another suit, sir. He said, Another suit? He said, This is dangerous. He said, What do you mean dangerous? He said, Well, he said, When I wear it, he said, People are going to shoot at me. See? So, but you see, listen, when you become a Christian, it's a bit like that. Because when you become a Christian and you take on, if you like, you wear the, wear the suit of Jesus, all of a sudden it's like having a target on your back. Things in our lives are going to go wrong. 
So this is what the overarching thing about this, this beginning part of James, and in fact the whole letter of James, is about our discipleship. Becoming a Christian isn't going to be an easy life. There are going to be trials and tribulations. And um, so the letter is written to Jews. One of the things that was on James's mind when he was writing the letter, I'm really started it, was the fact that um, he was very concerned that the Jews that had been converted to Christianity, but amongst all this lot, there was all these horrible pagans and Greek people, and they had very sort of low morals and low standards. And he was worried that they were going to actually start saying, well, this is good. We're all one now. We can, we can, we can and he was very much against them changing their God-centred lives into something else. So it's a difficult thing when you're bringing the two bits together. But he actually starts off and says, testing if they count it all joy, my brothers, when uh, you meet trials. And that's quite hard. He doesn't say look for trials, but he says count it all joy. And why does he say that? And he's saying that because through those trials and tribulations, you learn so much. Pete's not here today because he's running in a marathon, I think. Now, it's a very long run of marathon. I don't know much about it. I know a little bit. And at various times, you will feel, this is going well. And other times, not a couple of miles, you think, this is awful. I want this to end really quickly. It's a bit of a trial. But actually, because it's not the first one he's run, he will be a lot better prepared for it. He'll be a lot better able to cope and, and, and to finish that run. And if we're going to be disciples for Jesus and we're going to proclaim Jesus as Lord, and we're going to be, know that we're saved by grace, not that I did anything wrong, there's nothing I could do, all I could do is mess it up. God, in his great and infinite love for us, has given us free grace. It's amazing. If we're going to do that, and we're going to tell people about that, we need to be prepared for some trials of various kinds, as it says here, and that we're going to be tested. But the testing produces steadfastness. I quite like this steadfastness. It sounds very solid, doesn't it? Victorian, a bit steadfast. But it's good. As you're steadfast, it means when things move about, as it talks about further down in, in, in this um, chapter, about being, if you like, having no structure. When the wind blows, the water waves this way and that way. James talks about us being double-minded. It's interesting because um, it's not a case of heart and mind, it's double-minded. Actually, it's trans- it's, it's actually should say double-souled, I think, the translation. But, you know, everybody knows the situation. For example, you're going to go and buy a house. Oh, look, at it. I love the house. It's wonderful. It's a lovely little cottage. It's got all roses around it. Fantastic. The only trouble is, in the middle of nowhere, it's, a ha- it's more than a half an hour's drive to the nearest station, which is my criteria. So it's, it's heart and head. My heart loves the house, but my head says, oh, I don't fancy that drive backwards and forwards to the station or to work or whatever. This isn't like that. This is a split right down the middle. Right down the middle. So both heart and head are divided. Split. And, it's, and this is the man, the person, that isn't going to receive the wisdom. James says, if you lack wisdom, you can just go to God. And uh, that's fine, that's a promise. Um, without reproach. Why the why it says without reproach? Why would God reproach us? Maybe because he thinks, you've asked me that before, <laughs> many times. But God doesn't reproach us. He longs for us to go to him to seek the wisdom. And he will give it to us if he knows that we are coming to him with complete faith, 100% faith. 
this is this is the trial. I mean, when uh, we we sang that song, the um, uh, the song that uh, we were learning, I didn't know it actually, but it was the twenty third Psalm, and really it's, it's it's amazing. David was like a warrior king, stroke shepherd, bit of this, bit of that, and incredible psalm written by him that pictures painted with words even people that don't know Christ people that are not Christians even they are saying yes it's really that is really nice it's wonderful and it's a, it's a this picture of somebody going through their life actually well, you can only go forward I'm older than the last time I came here and you know and it's the same for you've only got forward gears in life haven't you you can't go back you're stuck with that and so there's this image in my mind of this man going through his life and but trusting God God is always doing good for us. I mean, further on, we won't go there, but further on, it says that God, gifts from God are always good. But at this point in, in this life, he's going through not the valley of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. Okay? So it's not the same, but it, it, it overhangs. When you walk through a valley, all you can see is what's limited, what's in front. If you walk on the hills, you get an idea of what's there and where the path goes there and everything, you get a view but in the valley you don't, you have to trust and in that psalm in verse 4 it talks about David walking with two things actually the rod and the staff and I've often wondered what that could mean and of course uh, I did do a little bit of research on that and the, the staff is something that you, you would take as a shepherd and you'd use it to lean on and it's, it's, it get the sheep, you know, it's got the hook on the end and all the rest of it, and the, you don't carry stuff about just to carry it about. Trust me, if you go walking distances, you only take what you need. You don't hump stuff about unless you've got a problem. <laughs> um, so it's going to have a use, and, and the, the rod actually is, is more used for fending things off. Okay, so the staff is the comfort, and the rod is a little bit of protection for you know shooing things away, and and they remind the person, they are the comfort of God so as we walk through our life as disciples we have that rod and that star and of course we have the Holy Spirit within us to guide and teach us um, what time we finish at 11 don't we <laughs> ok um, I think I'm going to overstay my welcome here look at all these notes I've got <laughs> um, well, let's, let's skip to um, facing temptation because I, 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 actually, it's not sinful to face temptation. In fact, if you don't, if you ever face temptation, I suggest you see a doctor because it's um, it's a natural thing to be tempted, and it's not always bad things. Tempt- I, 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 my temptation is to be grumpy. I started grumpy, and as you get older, you get even more grumpy. So coming up here today, we legged it here. We walked, we were walking along. And this, this voice, uh, move aside, move aside. I was, what, 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 what? And all it was was a man running on the pavement. All of a sudden, well, I had to throw myself into someone's front garden so that he could run past, you know, like this. And I don't know much about running. I've done a bit. I, I normally just, just go around people. I just run in the road or just get out of the way. I don't bellow out, move aside, stand by. What? And then, but then, then the other... So I, you know, the temptation is to say, hang on a minute, oi, mate... <laughs> Or sometimes if I'm out, if I'm out running, um, you see people cycling towards you at quite high speed, but relax, they've got crash helmets on, gloves, elbow protectors, knee protectors, and they're coming past me, and actually it's a pavement, and I'm... <laughs> so, move, 
sort of once again hurling out the way. So <laughs> this is this is what affects me. But other people it will be different. But I'm very tempted to make comments about you know we have to share this. So temptation is is a natural thing and it's not always some sinister thing, it can be small things to answer back, to not be gracious, to when you've got too much change, um, to say that you, you know, you, you've, uh, you've given me too much change and so it's a certificate, it doesn't matter, it must be. All those sort of things, that temptation uh, is, is in our lives, but how do we manage that is the point. It, it, it can be seen as a trial, but it's, it's a temptation. But the James, James's point is that that doesn't come from God. The people that he was writing to, which is just a general letter to the Jews, this temptation doesn't come from God. What's really interesting is that James doesn't say it comes from Satan. He doesn't mention Satan. <laughs> this is awful. He's actually talking about us. We are the source of the problem. We are the source of the problem because it talks about us um, being enticed and lured into things. And then, so you get the idea and then uh, we get, it moves on, it brings birth into sin and then finally it brings forth death and that means spiritual death. So to be tempted isn't, isn't wrong but to know it's not from God. But I think James makes a good point, although he doesn't make it overtly as a point, is that we shouldn't always blame Satan for things like that. I mean, Satan is only in one place at one time. God is everywhere. Satan can't be everywhere. And we have to take responsibility, is what I think James is saying here. And don't deceive ourselves. You know that every good gift comes from God. Towards the end of the chapter, James talks about the Father of Lights, which I thought was interesting, the Father of Lights. Uh, I think that's the same in the NIV, I think it's uh, exactly the translation. And Father of Lights, of course, is God. Um, and to the Jewish mind, the Father of Lights, when he says that, he's talking about the Creator God, the God that created the heavens and the earth. And those, those things that are created like we are, like they're creatures and they vary. Um, so the light will vary, the, the, the stars will twinkle, things move about and they're further distance and all the rest. That, but God never changes. There is no shadow in him whatsoever. He is completely consistent. And he's using that to endorse the fact that God does not tempt us. We can be lured because of our own heart's desires or occasionally it can be Satan. And then he says, it's interesting this final bit, and I will, I will close then, of his, own free, of his own will he brought us forth, because I like that, because being a Calvinist, yes, it's down to God. God is sovereign. He brought us forth by the word of truth. And I thought, oh, a word of truth. Um, well, it's the gospel, surely. I believe it's the gospel, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits so the first fruit is, the fruit, I mean, like an apple's a fruit, but I mean, for a lot of us, or me anyway, I think of an apple as something to eat. <laughs> that isn't really the purpose of an apple, but it, I, I, I like russets, and they're, they're only good for about two weeks, but they're up. But of course, the, the purpose of the fruit is to reproduce, to bring forth more fruit. And so the point is, if we are to be a kind of first fruit, we are, therefore, 
to bring forth more fruit. We are the first fruits, the change that's come about because of the, because of the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the saving grace through Jesus that we have. We are the first fruits. I know that you kind of know this stuff, but I just think it's really good to look at it and maybe to look at it through the mind of the, 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 you know, somebody of that time. But the Jewish mind it is different from the way we see things. We, we, we've really greased up the, the Gospels and the New Testament because the people that translated it, of course, are not Jews. <laughs> so we translated it in our way of thinking as much as possible. Um, so I've just come down with three things. It's really simple. So it's ask God who only gives good gifts. Trust him 100% without doubt. And in in that word doubt, somewhere along the line, perhaps years ago, there would have been the word fear. It's one of the little bubbles you could doubt and fear. So trust, ask, trust, and guard our hearts and our minds. Because in this day and age, they are under constant attack. Constant attack to do the opposite of what I've just said, to produce doubt, to produce fear. And that is, that is from Satan, because I believe Satan controls the media as much as possible. So the purpose of the trials and tribulations is to bring about maturity, to make us, James uses the word, perfect. Well, I think that's a bit strong. No one's going to be perfect, but it just brings us to as good as we can be, to make us more mature so that we can be steadfast in our faith, so our faith can be stronger, so that we can be better disciples, so that we can be living our lives closer to the Lord. So that we can receive the crown of life at the end, which James also alludes to. That is our reward, that is our goal, the goal of eternal life, to be eternally with the Lord. That is a big, amazing thing. People worry about this life. It's over very quickly. It doesn't last long. Time passes very, very quickly, I believe. And uh, the things that we worry about, James talks about the rich man. It's interesting, the rich man, he says in that, you will also, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Because the poor man can't have any pursuits because he's poor. (laughs) The only pursuit he's got is to stay alive. For the rich man, he could be on the golf course, he could be doing all sorts of pursuits, anything else he wants to do, and it's just the same at the end of the day. It's no different. It doesn't matter. So, I'll uh, call it a day there, I think. That's all right. So, I'll just close with my main prayer. Father, I do thank you for this book of James. I do thank you that it is different from um, some of the other books that we have, the letters. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, there are really good lessons and they're not just practical, Lord, that there are spiritual aspects. And James calls us to expect trials and tribulations but to withstand them because we put our faith in you, we ask you and we trust you. And I pray, Lord, that you would guard our minds in these difficult days. In the name of Jesus, Amen.